I am so excited for the series we're starting today on prayer. It's called Talking with God because at its essence, that's what prayer is, a conversation with God involving both talking and listening. But I know that many people, even church people, are uncomfortable with the topic of prayer. Many may feel confusion, skepticism, boredom, guilt, anxiety, discouragement, or just a plain lack of desire when thinking about prayer. Dallas Willard has said, spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Maybe, just maybe, some of the traditional practices of Christians throughout the ages, like prayer, have been misunderstood and reduced to some constricting form or technique to where it actually sucks the joy and life out of it. To where what is meant to be a gift and a joy becomes a drudgery, a source of anxiety or guilt, and ultimately unenjoyed. Whether the topic of prayer excites you, intimidates you, or just doesn't interest you, our hope over the next five weeks is that you come to an understanding of talking with God that frees you up to pray more, that feels more natural and attainable to you, that demystifies it and makes it so simple even a child could do it. Years ago, someone collected prayers written by children and compiled them in a book. Some are quite humorous, some are quite profound, but all of them are honest. And I think you'll find at times they resemble our own prayers. We'll be starting off with these prayers each week in our series. The hope is that using these prayers will demystify prayer a bit, making it so much simpler that we find ourselves doing it more. Listen to this one from Neil. Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? <laughs> it's an honest question when you're seven. Or how about this one from Norma? Dear God, did you mean for giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? This little guy is gonna be quite an affirmer, you can just tell. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made Tuesday. That was cool. Eugene, I love that he abbreviated Tuesday. He's got so much to do. <laughs> and finally, this one, which is on the front of your program. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Let's hope Joyce's parents give her a puppy for Christmas. These prayers are great, not only because they are humors, but also because they so capture how we feel about prayer, too. Sometimes we are happy, and we want to thank God. Wow, nice sunset. Other times we are curious, is this okay? Are we allowed to do this? Other times we are frustrated with what God has done. He didn't quite read the memo correctly. Puppy, not brother. But what I really love about these prayers is that they model for us what's at the heart of prayer, communicating with God honestly about our feelings and our experiences, communicating like a child with a parent. 
Does that sound too personal? I mean, this is God after all we're talking about. See, that's the astounding thing about the God we worship. He is out there, all-powerful and all-knowing. And yet, as we've just celebrated at Christmas, he is also right here. Through Jesus, God came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. The God who took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as John 1 says. He is very personal. What's more, Romans 8 tells us that for those of us who follow Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. We become his cherished children and can relate to him as intimately as a child can relate with a parent. If your own parental figure was not a good example of love or faithfulness, then maybe it will be more helpful to reverse the image and think of the children in your life whom you love, either as a parent or as an aunt or uncle. Or think of another relationship you have with a good friend. What kind of relationship or friendship would you have with that person if you never communicated with them? When you love someone, you enjoy spending time with them. It's not a chore to cross off your to-do list. I hope we can come to see prayer less as reciting a wish list and more like taking a walk with a friend or sharing a meal together or curling up on the couch and sharing the stresses of the day. God wants this kind of relationship with us where we are constantly talking with him, not talking at him or to him, but with him, where we listen to what he has to say. And that's the whole purpose of this series, not just to learn about prayer, but to actually pray more. So each week, now I don't want you to ignore them now, you'll find an insert in your program, and this week there are two, even your program gained weight over the holidays. Uh, Go ahead and take those out right now. The first one is a recommended reading list. This will not be inserted next week. There are some books we've suggested here to help you pray more if you're interested. There's some, there is some in, intentionally uh, variety based on personalities, maturity levels of the Christian faith. Pick and choose what seems most helpful for you. These are all also available in the lobby, so if you're curious before buying, uh, you can take a look at them. The second insert is the one called Prayer Exercises, and these will be in your program every week. This is an attempt to provide some practical ways you can apply what we talk about throughout your week. These are just suggestions. You're going to need to customize them to your own life, and there will be other ideas that aren't listed there that you're going to want to try, so do whatever is helpful. This is only meant as a guide. Now, with that introduction aside... Our topic today is pre-prayer, before you say a word. Each of us comes to prayer with certain preconceptions about what prayer is and how it works. Through our interactions with people, our churches, and even our own personal experiences, we form an understanding of what constitutes prayer. These preconceptions or ideas about prayer are what make each one of us either eager or reticent to pray. I want to spend some time 
Today, acknowledging and addressing some of those barriers people often have to prayer. And hopefully by addressing these barriers, we will be freed up to pray more. The first barrier is, I don't have time to pray. Time is the most precious commodity we have, it seems. And I don't need to belabor this point. Many of us feel like our schedules are already too full. We already cram more than is possible into our days and weeks. How could we possibly add one more thing? The good news for all of us is that growing in our prayer lives may not involve us spending two hours every morning on our knees to start the day. I'm not ruling that out for some, but for many, I think praying more will translate into praying tiny prayers that spill over into every part of your day, not just the morning. As John Ortberg says, sometimes growing in your Christian faith is not a matter of doing different things, but of doing the same things differently. I'm going to say more about this next week, but it could be that praying more may not actually translate into costing you any more time. Of course, it could be the case that some of us may need to take stock of how we spend our time. Many of us make time for all sorts of things that are not particularly life-giving. Often, in fact, they are life-numbing. I'm talking about escapist behaviors like excessive shopping, drinking, TV or movie watching, social media, whatever. It may be that in order to satisfy our deepest longings that can only be met in God, We choose to cut back on some of these behaviors. But my point here is not necessarily. You and I can grow in our prayer lives even if we don't add one single hour to our week. We'll just be adding prayer to what we already do, continually praying. We're going to talk more about that next week. The second barrier some of us have about prayer is, I don't know how. Some of you who are new or new again to Christian faith have told me you want to pray, but you just don't know how. It feels overwhelming. Let me encourage you. Even the disciples who lived with Jesus for years had to be taught how to pray. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, is a great prayer, and we're going to be looking at this the last week of the series. But the occasion which precipitated that prayer was Jesus' disciples watching Jesus pray, seeing something different about it, and asking him, Lord, teach us to pray. We must be taught how to pray, and Jesus is willing. And one of the most important things Jesus taught us about prayer is that we don't need to know a lot, or say a lot, or say special words when we pray. In fact, in Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, Don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. I agree with Eugene Peterson, who says, you really only need two phrases to pray, help and thank you. And Anne Lamott adds a third, wow. Every prayer is some variation or nuance to those phrases. If you can say those phrases, you can pray. You don't have to know anything else to start Praying. A third barrier some of us have to praying is unrealistic expectations. We may have an image of prayer that is boring or unattainable. When I was a teenager, I thought the only right prayer, the only prayer that counted, 
was getting up two hours earlier in the morning, which just made me tired and cranky, kneeling on my floor, which just hurt my knees, and praying down a long list of needs that I didn't really understand or know anything about, but was given by my church. It was like giving God this grocery list for items I couldn't pronounce. How long do you think that practice lasted? Years later, Dallas Willard taught me the quickest way to kill prayer is to pray for things you don't care about. (laughs) He advised those of us struggling with prayer against praying over a list. Instead, he said, start with what matters to you, your tuition bill that needs to be paid, your car that needs to be fixed. It was so refreshing and liberating. It opened up the possibility for me that maybe I could try prayer again. I hope you have many of those moments over the next five weeks. That whatever techniques or constraints you've put on yourself about prayer are lifted and you're freed up to simply talk with the God who made you and loves you. As we'll see in three weeks when John addresses honest prayer, we can pray our anger, our grief, our desolation, our hate even. And not only can we, we must. The fourth and final barrier I want to mention and not address right now is the elephant in the room whenever we talk about prayer, unanswered prayer, or it hasn't worked for me before. Many of us have made requests that don't get answered the way we'd like. I'll be honest with you, I'm coming off a big unanswered prayer right now as we start this series. On the Sunday after Thanksgiving, my sister's husband, Larry, had a heart attack and went into cardiac arrest. I was at the bedside with my sister while we and numerous others pleaded with God to give Larry a full recovery. But it didn't happen. He had no brain function and died a few days later. And there is a little part of me that wonders when I pray for God to comfort Julie or the children or for God to provide financially with him, why am I asking him to do this when he didn't do the big prayer I asked earlier to save Larry? Some of you in this room have similar questions. We'll talk about this in a few weeks when John addresses unanswered prayer. We won't be able to answer all your questions fully. But we know they are real. And whatever questions you have about prayer are welcome here. But there's a fifth barrier to prayer that I haven't mentioned yet. And that is what we believe about God. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God because it affects everything else. And this is certainly the case when it comes to prayer. I mean, Why would you even pray if you don't believe God is capable of or willing to help? Why pray if he doesn't hear or care? In the time I have remaining, I want us to consider three beliefs we must have if we're going to talk to God. Three beliefs that are critical for pre-prayer. First, there is a God, and it is not you or me. This may seem self-evident. Why pray to someone unless you believe they existed? But I'm not talking about atheists. I'm talking about the many of us 
here in the church who say we believe there's an almighty God, but who live as if everything depended on us. I don't know about you, but sadly, sometimes it's only when I've exhausted all other avenues that I think of asking God to help me for something. Psalm 2 reminds us of who is really in charge of this world. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed ones saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. These verses remind us God is the one really in charge, not kings or presidents. God is on the throne. In fact, it's humorous to think of any powerful ruler trying to go toe-to-toe with God. We need this reminder because we spend so much energy trying to be in charge. It's the American way. We're self-starters, self-reliant, independent. But who are we kidding? We aren't really in charge. The fact is we're in over our heads. It only takes one test result from a doctor one unchecked habit, one glance at a newspaper to see this reality. Let me encourage you this morning. If you are feeling helpless or out of control or overwhelmed, you're actually in a good place. I know it doesn't feel good, but it is reality. And it is the doorway to real prayer. Why ask for God's help if you've got this? Eugene Peterson says, the language of prayer is forged in the crucible of trouble. There is a God, and it is not you or me. Thankfully, the one true God is both able and willing to help, which leads us to the second belief that's critical for pre-prayer. God is present. God is here. God is not distant or far off. He is here He is near. In fact, according to the psalmist, he's a little too near at times. You can't escape. Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. See, the problem isn't that God is distant and needs to be wooed into coming near. The problem is that God is ever-present, and some of us seek ways of escape. Or as one writer put it, quote, God does not need to be invoked. We do. We need to be as present to God as God is to us, end quote. The early spiritual fathers and mothers had a phrase they used regularly to help them with this. God is present even when he is not bidden. He is with us wherever we go, whether we acknowledge it or not. See, God does not sleep or take a break, contrary to Jane's question here. Lucy is more on to him when she asks thoughtfully, Dear God, Are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? If any of you have ever been around a child who has an imaginary friend, you know how humorous and how challenging that can be at times. 
You cannot see the friend. But with the power of imagination, the child is convinced he or she is there. And heaven help you if you try to sit on that friend or move that friend or ignore that friend. We have an invisible friend too. But ours is actually here. We just can't see him. In the prayer exercises, I suggest a number of ways to have some fun with this idea this week. The third and final belief that is critical to pre-prayer is this. God is not only with you. He is for you. God loves you. He is not a puppet on a string we can manipulate to do whatever we want. He does not always grant our requests. But he is good and he is always working for our good. In speaking again about prayer, Jesus in Matthew 7, 9 to 11, compares God to a father, a good father, not a mean or unfit father. He asks rhetorically, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? That'll be really fun. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, if you're in your right mind, you love your children, no matter what they do. Your heart is for them. You're on their side. And you all are broken. Don't you know how much more your Father loves you as his children, you aren't bothering him by talking with him. I think sometimes this is the hardest pre-prayer belief to get right. There is no other love like God's love. Never failing, always forgiving, unconditional, undeserved. This is the scandal of Christianity, or as Anne Lamott calls it, God has no common sense. <laughs> If there's some mystery in prayer, surely this is part of it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You and I do not need to straighten up before coming to him. It's called grace, friends, and we're not only saved by it, we lived by it, and we pray by it. So as we begin this series on talking with God, as we do our pre-prayer and get ready to pray, here's what I want you to hear. You can do this. You and I can do this. Regardless of what you've been taught, what you've experienced, how busy your life is, how new this is to you, how long you've been doing this, how little you understand it, you can do this. And God longs for you to do this. He wants to hear from you. You are his beloved child, and he wants to be a part of all that you're going through, the highs and the lows, the big and the seemingly insignificant. God doesn't need to be invoked. He is here, ready to listen and respond. We need only to acknowledge and recognize him. And maybe, just maybe, as we learn to talk with God as we would a good friend, who knows us and cares about us, we will come to actually enjoy the experience. 
maybe we will find the guidance and direction we need, the strength to resist temptation, peace irrespective of our circumstances, and the joy of knowing we are God's child, holy and dearly loved. So what are you waiting for? Why not start talking with him now?